and welcome to Convos on the Couch by Life Stands Health. I'm Nikki Lanza, and I'm so excited to talk with Sharice de Oliveira, a psychologist from our Chandler, Arizona office, on the topic of mental health and the Latinx community. So, bienvenida, Sharice. Obrigado. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Nikki. Yes, no, excited to have you for sure. So let us begin and let's have you tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, so I'm a clinical psychologist. Uh, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, and now I'm practicing in Arizona. Um, I was born to Brazilian parents. So, you know, my parents moved to the U.S. Um, some point in the 80s. And really what they were looking for at that point was safety and financial opportunities, really things that they couldn't get in their home country at the time. Um, as far as clinical work goes, um, I have a lot of training and background in therapy with children and with families. Um, given all the transitions with um, telehealth, now I'm actually really working exclusively with adult women. Um, and then some areas of focus and specialization. So I work a lot with intergenerational trauma uh, and also identity development um, is another area of focus. Um, and then as far as communities go, there's really a large portion of my um, client base that I would say would be LGBTQ plus members of the community um, and also the Latinx community. Great, great. So your clinical experience, your cultural experience, all definitely I can see shapes you to be just probably just in a, a brilliant and excellent finishing all around for sure. Thank you. So let's start talking about the Latinx community from the point of view of what communities make up the Latinx community? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, the term itself, when we're using the term Latinx, we're really talking about people that have Latin American descent or origin um, and really naming that group as they live in the U.S. So really, it's a term that's used most to, you know, describe that population within the U.S., um, the more, I think, familiar term to most people would be either Latino or Latina. Um, and the Latinx really comes in here as more of a gender neutral term. So we're really moving away from that gender binary um, that has the O and A ending, you know, connected to the language. Um, and rather than Latinx being based on either just one language or one cultural root or background, we're actually looking at a variety of nationalities and races and ethnicities. Right. Um, so it does include a lot of Spanish-speaking countries. So we have, you know, Mexico, Guatemala, Cuba, Peru, um, but it also includes countries such as Haiti and Brazil, which are not Spanish-speaking countries, but really have a very similar kind of uh, cultural root, if you will, and so kind of gets grouped in um, with Latinx Um I think, you know, for people who are working within that community, understanding, important not to make any assumptions. Um, so if you're seeing someone and you think and you imagine, oh, they identify as Latinx, not making that leap, not making that jump, and instead really working with people. Because a lot of the times what you'll find is that there's a lot more comfort in identifying based on the nationality or the nation of origin. So, you know, it's Latinx is such an umbrella term. And so a lot of times when you're really working with people one-on-one, -on -one, they'll actually pull from, you know, here's where my parents are from, or here's where I'm from. And then usually it's kind of like that more um, narrow, if you will, or defined um, identity. And so when we talk about 
you know, some of the important cultural values within the community, again, we're using Latinx as that umbrella term. So as we talk about values important to the community, again, I think there's some nuances with, with yes. some of the different communities within. But I guess if we're going with a, a general approach, just to, mm-hmm. for the sake of this, I, can you share with us some of the important cultural values? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the ones that I think really stands out has to do with something that they've named kind of familism, which essentially is saying that family ties and family connections are central. Um, so it can be very common to actually see families living in a multi-generational household, um, a lot of connection and, you know, just um, really building those bonds between extended families. So a lot of things that involve the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, um, and really that all of that is really family. Whereas a lot of times in the U.S., when we say family, we're talking about the nuclear family. We're talking about right. parents and siblings. Um, and within this Latinx community, there's a much broader uh, kind of term, if you will, that says, hey, this is what family looks like. Um, so that I think would be one of the ones to understand. Um, another would be really understanding work ethic. So they're, you know, we're really talking about peoples who have survived, you know, generations, generations of colonization and many times a lot of significant oppression and marginalization. So this kind of drive for work being what saves you and what, you know, gets you out of poverty and gets your family to a better place, it's very deeply rooted. So that, you know, is common across, again, many, many, many of the different um, countries, you know, that we kind of see under that umbrella term. Um, And then the third maybe component would be understanding that there's still um, a great degree of like patriarchal hierarchy. So we're really looking at, you know, this idea or notion of respect and that there are certain members of the, you know, the group that are somehow seen as deserving more of that. So there's a a kind of tendency towards men being seen as the ones who, you know, others need to be respectful towards and disrespect is, you know, a huge issue also that comes, you know, kind of within that. So we know that there's still a very uh, gendered way in which boys and girls are being raised, which then ultimately affects, you know, how they function in the group as men and women, as adults. So I can see the importance of knowing these values, knowing that it means a little bit more towards patriarchy and and how family is so important and and things like that are so key. The work ethic for mental health professionals to be aware of if you are someone who, as a mental health professional, are not part of the Latinx community. Yes, yes. And trying to ask those questions to get at the, you know, that better understanding. So an example might be, you know, if you're working with a teen and they're coming out of this Latinx community and you're asking them questions of, you know, what do you do after school? Do you swim? Do you do dance? Do you do basketball? Right. And the answer being, no, I take care of my little cousins. Right. Like that's what I do. That's the expectation. Mm-hmm. So there, there might be this misconception of, oh, well, you know, what's going on there? And what, right. Right. Well, that's really following, uh, you know, a very, very normative cultural practice, which is, you know, the, the older you get kind of within that family system, you have certain responsibilities towards other family members. Um, see, I can see that being so misinterpreted 
by a, a mental health professional, not within the community of thinking, what's going on? Why are you not in swimming and all that? And snooping down a rabbit hole that is not really maybe even important. It, they're missing yes. the cultural you know, value. Yes, yes you know? absolutely. I hear you for sure. So speaking of mental health, and again, we're talking in general terms, but generally, how is mental health viewed within the community? Uh, so I would say, um, it, you know, in general, it's still seen as somewhat of, you know, services that are connected to privilege um, and also almost an element of luxury. So if you are in a place in your life where you are able to set aside the time, the finances, right, the resources in order to get that kind of help, it really is seen as, well, that is, that's bonus, that's extra. Right, because it it's seen mostly as something that's still predominantly part of you know like a white uh, group, let's say that right dominant group, versus it being something that fits within um, the Latinx community. Um, so you know, I would say one of the primary issues would be how do they even uh, identify mental health symptoms? Um, because a lot of times the presentations are a lot more physical. Um, so what we typically see is there is limited understanding of what mental health even is and what services are available. But when people are struggling with what we in the mental health community would call anxiety or depression or trauma response, they're going to their primary care physician. Okay. That's, you know, that's where they're showing up and they're saying, hey, I can't sleep or I have these migraines that won't go away. Um, I have all these stomach issues that, you know, are just really bothering me. Um, and so sometimes it really takes that added layer of, you know, someone within that medical community be able to say, hey, maybe there's something going on beyond, right. you know, that you ate something in your stomach is just upset. Something, right. you know, there's something to this and being able to connect those dots because I think there's still a lot of, uh, mistrust and just misunderstanding of what mental health is. So with that being said, the mistrust and the misunderstanding of it, I'm, I'm guessing there's some stigma to it then in the community. Is that correct to yeah, say? Yeah, absolutely. What I hear the most is this fear of, you know, it, it takes a lot for people to even get into therapy, right? So when I see them, that means they've already jumped through many, many hurdles and barriers. Um, but typically they'll get in and say, you know, I can't tell my family that I'm doing therapy. No one can really know about this. I'm really worried. What if they think I'm quote unquote crazy? What does that mean? And so there is a lot of fear of, okay, if the person is already seeing themselves as being in this situation where maybe they are being discriminated against, maybe they are being marginalized to add this other layer of stigma around yeah. mental health, it just may feel like, well, this is just too much. You know, I can't hold all of this at once. Um, so yes, a lot of fear, unfortunately, and it is tied to that stigmatization. So then that's going to feed into barriers to probably seeking treatment and getting treatment and everything. Yes. Are there other barriers that also might get in the way? Yeah, I mean, I think um, if we're really understanding that mistrust and another thing I would say would be lack of representation. Oh, so okay. when you're really trying to, you know, you're looking for help and let's say you, you know, land on a, on a page where you're, you're searching through therapists and you're scrolling and you're trying to figure out all these things. It's really difficult to look at and say, wow, no one looks like me. 
Different right? There's ways. no yeah. one that is saying that they understand my culture, my background, they don't speak my language, mm-hmm. whatever that issue may be. So that also presents, I think, as an additional barrier. It's just that lack of representation, and yeah. you know, something that hopefully is shifting as we're seeing that Latinx community is just growing tremendously in the U.S. And the hope is that with these newer generations, we also have people, you know, kind of moving into some of these fields that just there isn't enough representation at this point. So that would be one of the things of if we can have more of a draw to uh, people in the Latin, Latinx community choosing to become mental health professionals would be really helpful. Yes, it would make such a difference. Absolutely. And I hear that all the time where sometimes, you know, someone found me because I said, wow, I saw you and you looked like me, right? Like, and no one else on that search page did. And that helps just to have that bridge, that connecting point and already some sense of feeling uh, understood or feeling like they belong, right? Because that's true for any of us. If we go into a space and no one looks like us or thinks like us or talks like us, we immediately feel, okay, we don't belong. Right. Um, And that's a similar experience when you're just trying to seek treatment. And so really being able to kind of draw in, like you said, more people from this community into mental health services and professions, it would make such a difference. Oh, for sure. So do you feel like some of the barriers to getting treatment, do you feel like it's going in a better direction? And it's, it's, decreasing some of the barriers perhaps? Yes, I think so. And what I would say is at least what I found helpful is uh, working collaboratively with the primary care offices. So creating that referral base. So if you're kind of working with the primary care physicians for them to start to notice and identify, okay, this person keeps coming back. They're, you know, coming in every three months, four months, six months. And here's what's going on for them. Maybe it is a mental health issue. Maybe it's something that, you know, therapy would be more supportive of rather than just coming back and checking in with me as their primary and being able to shift that thinking and then create a referral. Um, you know, so if you have that that doctor saying to their patient, hey, here's what I think is going on and here's who I think can be helpful, you know, let me refer you to this person then the therapist already has at least some trust being transferred. Right, right. And it's so important. Yes, and it increases the chance that the patient then follows through with the referral and gets the mental health services. So I've definitely seen a positive change, and I would have to say that that's been one of the, the um, shifts is that, you know, once the primary care physicians are able to identify some of these things as, oh, this would be really important to get mental health services on board um, and then creating that referral path. It's really helpful. Oh, for sure. Can you share with us some other takeaways to help yeah. us mm-hmm. understand the Latinx community and mental health? Sure. Um, so some of the things that we've already talking, talked about, I think knowing some of those cultural values, you know, like if we're thinking about family and the idea of family first, um, all of that can work really as a double-edged sword. So when you have an, an environment of extreme support and care and nurturing, you can see how having all of those family connections, yeah. it just, it's just going to lift you up, right? You're going to really feel that sense of belonging through and through because you always have a place to land, right? You'll always have help. You'll always have somebody who's there. Um, the flip side of that is when those family environments are not so healthy, because a lot of times we are looking at significant intergenerational trauma um, 
And then for the individuals kind of feeling trapped in that, there's such a sense of guilt and, you know, the sense of loyalty to the family. So it's difficult to speak up. It's difficult to get help. Um, so a lot of times I'll hear from my clients, like, well, I don't want to say that because it feels like I'm talking bad about, you know, this family member or like I'm gossiping and, you know, to kind of help them work through and say, no, this is part of what therapy is about. We have to work through it. And in order to do that, we have to talk about it. We have to name it. So they really will struggle with that sense of guilt or, you know, mm-hmm. obligation and loyalty to the family. And really a lot of times, you know, at a disservice to themselves. Um, so being able to kind of name that or for clinicians to kind of watch for that too, you know, I think would be uh, important. And then, you know, lastly, understanding for any um, clinician in that dynamic, knowing that they do hold a lot of power and authority. Because again, just how, you know, that Latinx community is structured, those clients are coming in and seeing the therapist as an authority. So doing a lot of really create more of this kind of reciprocal relationship. Um, So there may be a lot of things that they'll feel really uncomfortable doing because they may think it's disrespectful. Um, That's really important to know. Wow. And it really does apply to something as simple as, you know, if they want to change their time of when they're normally seen on their date, they may really struggle to bring that up with a therapist because- What if that's disrespectful, right? It's not the therapist leading that change of that conversation. They have to bring that up. So, um, you know, knowing that that idea of respect of how do you speak up for yourself, that sense of agency, um, it's not really fostered growing up. And so it's something that then later on as adults you know, navigating a work environment and how do you ask for a raise and how do you say you know, to the certain job expectations that really just go beyond the scope of what you're doing. And so really there's that advocacy piece where internally, you know, the person might just feel like, well, I can't because that would be disrespectful, right? This is my boss. This is my manager. This is, you know, someone in a position of authority. So doing some of the work to break that. So I could see what that would be some cognitive dissonance for someone within the community because it's a cultural value of the respect and so if in, in therapy per se, it's yes. like, so this is either setting boundaries or it's about being assertive. You can see where that would kind of go counterintuitive to how they were brought up or the cultural values of it. Wow, that's really interesting. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So even the idea of boundaries themselves, it, yeah. you know. Um, if you if you think about that shift in difference and, you know, some other kind of cultural groups in the U.S., if children are being raised to speak up for themselves, yeah, right? a piece right. of advocacy, but then right. within the Latinx communities, those same children are told, hey, don't talk back. Right. That's just factual. Right? right. Now you're getting completely different, you know, frames of reference on how to be in the world and how to speak about your needs and then that's going to carry into adulthood into your relationships into your professional development um so yes yeah, so the idea of boundaries can feel very foreign wow. um, you know and being able to do a lot of that work just saying no this is this is okay you know you right. as an adult here are the things that you're able to do for yourself and you know speak up for yourself and advocate um and again like you said it may create a lot of that cognitive dissonance yeah yeah, I would imagine so. My gosh, Sharice, thank you so much for sharing 
your knowledge on is, and you really opened my own eyes in, in recognizing, you know, I, I do pride myself in being a therapist that works very hard to be as culturally competent as I'm able to be. So, but even today of like, even the kind of dissonance of like setting boundaries or assertiveness, like things that would be typical within uh, U.S. society of, of throughout therapy of, of helping a client do how that can run against the, the cultural norms of someone in the Latinx community. So, I mean, you just brought up so many key points here. So I, I thank you for kind of opening my own eyes with that and being more aware of it. So You're welcome. thank you again. I'd love to have you on. And, and I want to say, abrigado. Gina, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.